One of my favorite deeper dives of 2023 was the one we did with Nurse Nikki on the new mastitis protocol. We got so many great questions and comments during the deeper dive from all those who attended live. Shout out to Naomi, who told us at the end that she was going to fix all her care plans right away. Same, Naomi. Use the link in the show notes to subscribe and have monthly live access to all of our deeper dives, as well as all of our recordings going all the way back to January of 2020. You don't want to miss out on this. And we can't wait to see you at the next deeper dive. I'm Annie. And I'm Leah. And this is Lactation Business Coaching with Annie and Leah, where we talk about the smart way to create a compassionate and professional private practice. Let's dive in. Hi there. Welcome to our bonus episode. This bonus episode is actually one of the first deeper dives that Annie and I did together. We're delighted to share it with you. Enjoy. Thank you for joining this deeper dive into imposter syndrome. I don't know how many times Leah and I have said the words, I'm really terrified. What if this is a disaster as we've been preparing? So I think it was, that's probably why we picked imposter syndrome because we have it and we're kind of yep. we're scared. We <laughs> hope it really goes well for all of you guys and everybody. So we're doing these deeper dives as a way to help people participate more, build a community around this whole thing, you know, virtually so that we can get to know each other better and talk in more detail. So the way we're going to do this is we've got some questions, like interactive discussion questions. We've prepared some content, did a bunch of research. So Leah, I'm going to hand it over to you to start us off with a, just a brief centering exercise. So you came here to spend this time because you are important and you're trying to do something really valuable for yourself. So I just wanted to give us a few minutes to think about your environment around you right now. Are there any distractions that you could remove? You know, if you want to turn off your phone or the notifications, just give yourself a minute to think through, is there anything that's going to be dinging and distracting you? in this time that we have together. And then just collectively, I thought we could just, you know, bring ourselves more present, just taking everybody a few, just nice deep breaths. Let's just do three, just nice deep. We're coming to this moment together breath. So let's just breathe in deep. And sometimes it's really nice to do a sigh with that. Just brings you really low into your body. One more time. Good. And let's just do one last time. (sighs) Okay. We're all here. Everybody's present and ready to honor yourself. Obviously, if you're here, you might have thought, gee, I want to know something more about this imposter syndrome, or maybe you've heard about it and feel like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm a fraud in some of my aspects of the work that I'm doing. In our research, Annie and I had found this just fantastic book that we'll be referring to quite a bit. And if you get a chance, I think everybody should read it, but it's called The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. It's all about imposter syndrome. And one of the things that we thought was really helpful we could start with is I'm just going to read a few questions to kind of give you a sense of what imposter syndrome might look like. And sometimes it looks like different for each person. And we'll go a little bit into the types of imposter syndrome, how it kind of shows up differently for everybody. But just going to real briefly ask these questions. And if you want to say like, oh my gosh, yes, that's me. (laughs) Or just think to yourself like, okay, I've got four of those for sure. So let me just read this real quick for you guys. Do you chalk your success up to luck, timing, or a computer error? anybody? (laughs) Do you believe if I can do it, anybody can? Like, maybe this isn't as hard as it really looks. Do you agonize over the smallest flaws in your work? That is like, I'm raising super high on that one. Are you crushed by even constructive criticism, seeing it as evidence of your ineptness? 
A hundred percent. When you do succeed, do you secretly feel like you fooled everyone again? Definitely. And do you worry that it's a matter of time before you will be found out? So I think we're pretty much all on board that imposter syndrome is definitely something that is showing up for all of us. So real quickly, I just wanted to give a quick overview, just what is imposter syndrome? Now we kind of get like maybe some of the feelings that might be behind it, but just to give you a tiny bit of information, technical information. So first and foremost, it's not a syndrome technically in the sense of you can't look it up in the DSM and find it as something that could be diagnosed. It is researched back in the 1970s based on women entering the workforce and feeling the researchers really felt like this was probably something that every woman in the workforce was starting to feel like. In the research, they found that 70% of people in the work environments were feeling like an imposter. We certainly have higher rates of it when you're an entrepreneur all of us, when you are working independently, which is the majority of us, and also gender and race play a huge role in the level of imposter syndrome somebody might feel. Um, so just asking for you from you guys, what are some of the things that you've heard about imposter syndrome or kind of what's your level of awareness about it? Or is this like the first time you've ever heard about it? Love to hear from you guys. I guess this is the first time that I've heard a name associated with it, but I've definitely felt it my whole career, not just with lactation, but you know, I started off as a labor and delivery nurse. So for sure, felt like, you know, all it's that feeling of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, oh, mm. yep, here it is. <laughs> and that's so unnerving because it's like it leaves a level of anxiety behind your work, you know, when you're thinking about it like that. How about you? Who else was going to share? I can definitely relate. I also had never heard of the actual term, but working on the high-risk postpartum unit years ago, I used to regularly pray on my way to work that I wouldn't kill anyone. (laughs) Because I, like, that just, I was like, because I was working with sick moms. So I'm glad I'm not there anymore. (laughs) I have more confidence now and I'm not working with stick moms, but I still feel insecure. Yeah. I think that's like, you know, I can really relate to that as far as my fear of having the stakes be that high probably held me back from considering a lot of professions when I was younger, just being like, I mean, I'm not the person for that, but you know, is that, you know, real or not it's but it's definitely you know people who do take that brave make that choice career choice like Lynette and Courtney have done to work in professions where you know you're you are working with sick people and your the stakes are high like that there's a not so much like that the risks of making a mistake are so high but we're wondering like some of this research is showing that does this affect that feeling affect women more than men. And there was this great quote in the book where it was, she's quoting another author from an article that was written in 1992. And she says, men try not to get bogged down by petty considerations such as, do I know anything about this subject? Or is what I have to say interesting? They take a broad view of questions, treating them less as requests for specific pieces of information than as invitations to expand on some theories, air a few prejudices, and tell a couple of jokes. Some men seem to regard life as a talk show on which they are the star guest. If you ask, what is the capital of Venezuela? They hear, so tell us a bit about your early years, Bob. So so you see like, and I've definitely seen that, like the difference between, I used to teach in the classroom and I would see a very stark gender difference between how my male students would answer questions and how my female ones would answer questions. The male students would raise their hand whether or not they knew the answer just to be a part of the conversation. And I saw a lot of the female students not raising their hands at all, even when I knew from reading their work that they absolutely knew the answer and that they would have something really valuable to contribute. And the book also talks about how 
race and sexuality can help play a role in this where you also if you feel like you have to represent your demographic your category to your profession that can also increase like that adds another level so you know if you are a woman and you are also not in the dominant culture or you are queer then you're also like and it's even worse because if i fail i'm not just me it's not just me it's all women and all black women or all <laughs> lesbian women or whatever it is that's a lot of pressure that i think i do think our world does put that on us too i don't think it's that part is made up i don't know if, if any of you have experienced that or feel like you've been seen that that piece of it I definitely feel like she goes into great detail in this book about all the different statistics that in studies have like proven that these particular like the gender, the minority groups, you know, like that's all statistically there, whether we see it or not, like it's there or if you've personally experienced it or not, it's pretty substantial. So the thing that I thought was really interesting when we were like learning and researching about this is just how imposter syndrome shows up differently. And this was something that I had no concept of until I learned a little bit more. And I was just going to go through the four different like ways it shows up for people and thought maybe you guys could see if you identify with one of these specific reasons or types. So the first one is the perfectionist. So this is when you are putting yourself out there, you maybe limit yourself because you're like, oh, this isn't perfect enough yet. Or if you get any criticism, you're like, that's because I'm not perfect. And I, you know, you can't move past this need to have whatever you do perfect. So this might look like in a consult, you're leaving, the family is so happy. They're just like, wow, you've helped me so much. This is amazing. And you in your head are thinking, well, I said this stupid thing, or like I made this, you know, weird remark that I wish I hadn't made. And I wish I had, you know, done this a little bit more perfectly. And instead of thinking, wow, I just left this family feeling like a really confident breastfeeding family, you're nitpicking yourself out the door thinking about the way you worded something or how you explained something or did you, you know, get to every single topic that you thought you should have gotten to. So that's how it might show up for the perfectionist. The next one, which is really common, I think, for um, women, especially working women, is the superwoman man person. So this might look like you are never satisfied or feel like you're an imposter because you can't do everything. So in a consult, this might look like, well, yes, this family is happy with my services, but we didn't get to talk about pumping. I wasn't able to show them all of these things. I also, you know, didn't get the five things at home that I was supposed to get done before I went to this consult. I also need to make sure that I got the PTA thing done today. And oh my gosh, my friend needs me to bring them a meal. I am failing at everything <laughs> because I can't get it all done. So I think that's really common for a lot of us because we are managing a lot of things most often. And I think this kind of super person not being able to get everything done makes you feel like the imposter. Um, the next one is called the rugged individualist. And so this is similar to that kind of super person, but thinking about yourself like if you had to ask for help, that would mean you were a fraud. So this thought that you really should be able to do all of it. So you don't need a bookkeeper. You don't need anybody helping you with social media. You should be. There's people out there that are doing every single part of this. And because you aren't, then you're a fraud and you can't get help. You are fearful to ask for help because you feel like that might make you look maybe less, you know, like a fraud, like you're not making it happen. So I know it's it's interesting as I wrote read through these, I was like, oh, I definitely feel a little twinge on that one. And it was like almost all of them. I had moments where I was like, OK, I can relate on that. And the last one is the expert. So when when you're an expert, you think, well, I passed my IBCLC exam. I should know everything there is to know about lactation. 
And from here on out, if I am having to refer to any reference or ask somebody for an opinion or, you know, if I'm not feeling like I am have complete understanding about all of it all the time, then I'm a fraud. And I think this is clinical side, definitely. But this is also like the entrepreneurial side, too. You know, we did all take an IVCLC exam and we passed that. So which also doesn't mean that you should know everything there is to know. It's always growing. But I think on the entrepreneur side, not many of us have gone to entrepreneurial school or running a business school. But I think a lot of us feel like, well, I opened this business. I went to the state and said, I want to run a business. I should know everything there is to know about business. And if you don't, if you need to ask questions, sometimes that can make us feel like we're, we're actually a fraud. Like we don't really know what we're doing. We're having to ask too many questions. So I love, I got to look a little bit about everybody um, kind of feeling, <laughs> somebody said exactly at that time. For sure. I love that. So I, I like the input. Does anybody have any feedback on just some of those now that you've heard that there's kind of these different categories? Anybody have anything they want to share in relation to that? Or maybe expand on I one that you... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Courtney. For sure. The running yeah. individualist is definitely not me. I have somebody doing social media. Like... <laughs> thankful that Annie has her toolkit and you know all the things that she does but yeah the rest of them the perfectionist the superwoman only because I have to like with especially family stuff like we don't have family here so it's just me and my husband with the kids and if I don't do it it doesn't get done and then again being the expert I feel like these people or you know the clients are looking at me as the expert and you should know and you should be able to solve my problem so that's a lot of pressure yeah, I don't know when you're, like, yeah oh I hate that when you're in the moment and they ask you like a really tough question and you're like and you're like don't want to stumble and and seem like you don't know but you're like trying to go back through all the things I studied <laughs> do I have that in my brain somewhere that's, that's mm-hmm. a tough place to be and it definitely makes you sit there and go well what am I doing? Like, I don't even know, you know, I can't even give them the information they need right now. Some of these so. Facebook groups are really intimidating too. Like the really popular professional one, like they post all these articles and studies and it's stuff I've never even heard of. Yes. Like, I feel like I, I mean, I could probably spend all day just reading in that group. And it is know, so intimidating. I am totally with that, ahead. Courtney. Yes. Like that, like I put down that my big thing is expert, but like I, I have my area where I feel like I'm the expert. And then I would say like, I, I don't know which one this is, but like the fall apart and just pretend like it doesn't exist person with the clinical <laughs> stuff. Like when I see like, I'm like, like prolactin levels. Like I, I know, I know this, but like, I don't know what apparently don't know it the way you know it and certain things. And then I get in, like, I'll sit in consults after seeing some of those like clinical posts on Unlock world, which I, I mean, they're fascinating. Like I read them, like what everybody says, like I learned so much, but then I'll sit in front of a mom and I'll be like, how many things am I missing right now? Cause <laughs> I must be. Um, and yeah. I really get like, and I'm like, okay, just like shove it aside. I go into like the freeze. I'm like, just, just carry on. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. to get really, I, and that, I don't know, like, is that, that, that kind of brings us to something Lee and I went back and forth with, which is there's imposter experience, but there's also knowing when you don't know something and having the resources to be able to expand. And so like, which uh, some of these types are like the rugged individualists are afraid to ask for help. But I think, I think that kind of is also all of us. I mean, especially in the moment, one-on-one with a family, like you're not going to be like, Hang on a second. Back to Let me phone a friend. <laughs> right. 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 I wonder how much of that, you know, we put on ourselves though, because I had a family recently that I was working with and it was a really, really tough case. And I haven't been in IBCLC that long. So it was like kind of baptism by fire, it felt like. And the mom was so, has been so appreciative of the fact that I have been willing to say when I don't know something and say, I don't, I don't know what the best, you know, resource is for that, but let me research it. Let me 
talk to other people who are in the profession. Let me reach out to some other experts that I know and get back to you because she, she feels like she's gotten the runaround. I think so many other places where mm-hmm. so many other healthcare professionals have been unwilling to say, you know, we really don't know why this is happening with your child. And she has told me over and over again, she's like, I trust you because you tell me the truth. You tell me things that you know, and you tell me things that, that you think I should consider, but you also tell me when you don't know something. And that's been really like powerful for me to hear that feedback specifically from a family. Yeah. And I so know that like when I taught nursing school, I told my students that all the time. If you don't know, just say you don't know. You sound crazy rambling and don't talking in circles. Like I know that, but you know, it just it pains me that I don't know. I know. I want to know too. (laughs) And I think there's a lot of pressure for us, you know, with the way a lot of the care that we give is set up, it's kind of putting us in these more vulnerable situations because you know, a lot of times it's set up that we're gonna come in in one two hour visit, fix all your problems for the entire length of your breastfeeding journey. And we're gonna do it masterfully and concisely. And with your sleep deprived brain, you're gonna know everything you need to know before I leave the house, you know? And that's like impossible. And I don't think there was any other profession that kind of has that level of expectation put on them. And like, even when you go to the doctor, you might have an earache and they're like, well, let's try antibiotics and see if it clears up. If not, you know, I'll refer you over to an ENT. And that sounds like great. Sounds good to me. Well, maybe not great. because, But anyway, <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, for us, it's like, no, we have to figure everything out at one shot, get all the referrals made because this might be the only visit you have with this family, especially in some areas, you know, where there's, financial constraint for multiple visits or insurance isn't covering it, I think it just really puts an extra layer on our work um, specifically. Does anybody resonate with that? I mean, and I wonder too, how much is that something that we are doing to ourselves? I mean, I'm sure, yes. I mean, I think that it starts with how this profession was founded and how it's evolved and the limitations in the US, which we have with insurance where um, people aren't getting, you know, they have to pay out of pocket for it. And so there is, I think it has evolved into many lactation consultants are, are in this one and done thing, whether they want to be or not. And like that, I've struggled with that my entire private practice is how do I get people to pay out of pocket for three visits with me because it makes such a big difference. I know Jen is, is nodding her head and she she posted in the chat that explaining expectations can be confusing for them. Say a little more say a little more about that, Jen, because I know this is something I mean you and I have talked privately about this and but I feel like you do have really good strategies for helping clients not see you as the super person with the cape that's going to solve it in, in 90 minutes. Right. And a lot of that is referrals and teamwork and explaining that to them. But I feel like because I'm the only private practice where I am and my price is pretty high, that if I explain to them ahead of time that they're you know going to need quite a few visits, they're not going to come see me. So yeah. I kind of wait until we're in the middle of it and they see how many questions I've asked and see how complex their situation is. And then I explain to them that, you know, these are the things that we could continue working on if you choose to continue seeing me, but in some choose to, and some don't, but I think explaining to them ahead of time is really hard. I agree. I've had that same experience and I do the same thing. Like, like you mid consult, I really try to start to bring in, you know, this kind of stair step approach. Like, I think it would be best if, you know, we concentrate our efforts on this one area for a week and then we plan a check-in so that we can build on what you've learned. I definitely don't want to overwhelm you today. That might be a nice way to segue into this need for our profession to kind of look a little differently in the way that we give our care so that we don't get left with these really big feelings that feel like this imposter syndrome or this fraud because we can't really live up to the expectations that a lot of families hold for us. So um, what else is so interesting about that? 
I'm going to take just a minute to tell you about Kathy's upcoming course. It is called Understanding Infant Reflux and Related Conditions in Lactation Practice. Early bird pricing is open now through May 16th, and which is the day, May 16th, when all of the course content is going to open. We've got six hours of recorded videos, plus an additional two SERPs. So that's eight L SERPs total for self-study work that Kathy is going to be grading and reviewing and giving you feedback on. So Kathy, you put your heart and soul into this course. I know all of the research that you did. What is one of the things that you're most excited about teaching learners in this course? Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't pay any attention to occult blood in the stool. I've actually had a couple of moms on elimination diet because of a positive occult blood test in perfectly happy, healthy babies. And this makes really no sense at all. But that's one of the little take-home messages. There are many. It's filled with nuggets and gems like that. Every second of this training is going to give you things that you're going to be able to use in your private practice. So definitely sign up for that. You'll have once you're in, you're going to have all the way until May of next year to get through this content because it's stuff that you're going to want to watch and rewatch again. So we're so excited that Kathy put this course together for us. When you were saying that, I couldn't help but think that like, not only is that good for us as practitioners, but that's also really important for our families to hear that, that they need to set realistic expectations for themselves and that they can work maybe on one piece at a time. Because I feel like sometimes we try to throw so much at them all at one time that it's overwhelming to them and to us. I I absolutely agree. Totally. And I, I definitely especially in the early years of my practice, I really was just being like, okay, I'm going to tell you everything. And I'm not going to leave here until I explain how starting solids work. So your four day old <laughs> will be ready. And, that is, um, and I, I mean, I, I still have that tendency now, like they'll, you know, I'll be putting my shoes on and they'll be like, can I just ask you one more question? It's about like something months away. And I'm like, well, while I'm here, I don't want you to hate me if I don't answer your question. Right. And I think that, that like, for me and maybe for others of you, it's the imposter syndrome. I default to, I guess, cause I'm the, like, I'm the expert is that if I don't immediately show that I have mastery over anything you ask me, you're going to hate me. And then you're not going to yeah. do anything that I recommended. Cause you, I've completely lost credibility with you. And then you're not going to achieve your breastfeeding goals. And it's going to be a hundred percent my fault. So why am I even here? And so I'm like, so I better make sure I prove my value. And it's like not even about the money anymore, but it's about like, I just have to make you like me and believe me. But I I think that goes into what Leah and I were researching in the book about how this imposter experience holds you back. So like that would be an example of one of the first ones that we found, which was this limiting belief. So like, you have a limiting belief where you think I'm only the certain way. It's also called a fixed mindset. And if I'm always like, if I don't live up, they're going to hate me. That is a limiting belief because it doesn't allow me to, to follow what, you know, what Jen is saying and what others are saying that if I am up front with them and say, we're not going to do this, all of this right now, because we can't like, it's not, I can't, we can't, I can't do it for you as a clinician. It's not healthy for you as, as a mom family to try to do all this at once, then that moves me into this potential area where we could have better breastfeeding outcomes because we're looking over time and not just like, I better make you love me before I leave. Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the things is that just having experience, some of this helps so much because I can remember when I started and there was so many of these feelings I've, I had, and then as the years have gone by and I've worked through a lot of these things. And honestly, a lot of it was in therapy because it's so many feelings of not being good enough. And I think we, we all experience a lot of that in a lot of different areas, but when you apply it to your business and your career and something you're so passionate about, it's really an evolution and it's not something that it's just going to change overnight. And it's something you have to work on. 
you know, Annie's seen years of me like raising my price and like really having to justify it. And I'm pretty high for my area right now. And I still feel like, well, I've got to give them their money's worth. But I also feel like I really do, even if I don't give them every single thing in the moment. Um, and it, it took a long, long time for me to get there. So for all of you guys that are a little bit more new at this, like it takes time and that's okay. And it's super awesome that you're learning to pay attention to these things now, because I think if somebody had told me about this, I've probably been more in kind of the, I hate to say self-help, but just like more personal awareness of like, how is my mindset affecting my life? You know, that kind of thing for the last like two or three years. And, um, in that, I, I think God, all the years that I spent kind of torturing myself <laughs> could have been resolved or like I left behind so much sooner than if I had had this information ahead of time. So I think it's it's so great that we're getting to share and kind of help shape the journey that you might have um, if you're newer in on the scene. Some of the other things that imposter syndrome might do to kind of limit you is um, it definitely can stifle your confidence. So if you've had a bunch of really kind of hard visits that left you feeling like a fraud, then you might even walk into the next visit kind of already less confident, already questioning yourself before you even heard what the problem is, you know, or you read the problem in their intake forms and you're like, Oh, probably too hard. What if I don't know how to help them? So I think it also, if you have some things that you want to do with your business, because I think we also have a lot of imposter syndrome, not just around clinical things, but around our business, like marketing and putting yourself out there in that way. It can be, you know, an area where we're really going to see ourselves holding back because we're like, oh, you know, I'm not that good enough to go in front of that pediatric group and tell them to refer to me. Or, you know, those people are going to think I'm, I have, I don't know enough yet if I go and put myself out in front of another professional group or ask to speak somewhere or, you know, these kind of bigger things that might be like dreams of yours, but because you have these limiting beliefs or these, you know, imposter feelings that you don't feel bold enough to step out there. Um, and so Jennifer had posted a comment that relates to what you're saying, which is, I don't want to be seen as someone who's purposefully extending into multiple appointments just to rack up the bill. Can we get a show of hands? Does anybody feel that way? I'm worried about that. 100%. I, I do. Yes. And I think that there's that, that is a worry. Cause I'm like, I just don't want you to think I'm trying to scam you and like, <laughs> and just keep coming back. And so I think going back to what Jen said, like the way we frame it, you know, as to get out of that limiting belief is, which is I'm not going to offer a follow-up because I'm scared. It's going to make you think I'm a, I'm a scam artist. You have to not do that. And you just have to trust that what is, what is true, which is the research is pretty clear that people need more than one visit. So that is a true statement going back to that and just saying, if you're confident in that, in what you believe the outcome is going to be for your family takes it off of who cares what they think about you. They're going to think what they think about you. You know what I mean? That's such a good point. I was going to mention something else too. I think that one of the things that I struggle with is that when I am in front of a client or I'm with a family, I feel like I'm kind of in my element. Like I feel really confident when I'm with the family. I feel like, oh, I'm really providing you lots of value. I feel like we are building good rapport. Like I'm able to share some of my expertise with you that is going to make a really positive difference in your experience with breastfeeding your child or whatever that is. And then when I get in the car, somebody had mentioned that in the, in the chat group. When I get in the car afterward, or later that evening when I'm going through the notes and I'm typing things up, then it's like, that's when the nitpicking of myself starts. And I'm like, oh, well, but what about this? And what about that? And I struggle with that because I feel like when I'm in the moment, I don't feel like I'm trying to rack up the bill. I don't feel like I, like none of that is in play when I'm in front of the family. But then it's only later on that I'm second guessing myself or I'm coming back to that. And I don't know if anyone else relates to that, but it's interesting because I don't feel it so much in the moment. It's later. Anybody, anybody else feel that way? I feel that way. Exactly. Yeah. 
I I often feel very good during my consults, but it's yeah, it's afterwards and even you know a few days afterwards or a couple of weeks and thinking about that family and yeah. I often even worse if you don't hear back from them or yeah <laughs> check in you're like ah the 20 things I did wrong in that visit and that's all you can think about for the next week or they well, one cancel on you and <sighs> after you book the follow-up and they cancel and they're just like or like they just like cancel through the online scheduler without even anything <laughs> Or you go in a Facebook group and you see your client posting, can anybody recommend a good lactation consultant? (laughs) Ouch. That happened. (laughs) I think my heart would feel pierced at that moment. Oh, that's so hard. I I cried. And then then I was the one that recommended Annie. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Oh, my goodness. One thing I would... I would say to that feeling is when you feel in flow like that, when you're connected and things are flowing out of you, that is your true self. That is you coming, showing up as like who you authentically are. And when we move out of that and then we're in our brains more and we're not in flow anymore because we're like who flows with paperwork, nobody. (laughs) And we have this opportunity to let, you know, the other parts of our mind kind of churn away is, is a time where it might just not be the true self. It's kind of like this, you know, false narrative, these limiting beliefs that are just nagging you. And one of the things that you can do and, and, we'll tie this in as like some of a coping strategy would be to try to really just focus on the facts. Like, did I leave the consult feeling like this family was served well? Well, the fact is yes. Right when you are walking out that door, the fact is yes. Is there always something that we can learn? Fact is yes, but doesn't take away from the value that you gave them. But sometimes just kind of bringing yourself back to what are the facts? The facts are, you know, we were able to get, finally get this family, this breastfeeding parent, not having pain with latching. That's a fact. That's something I tell families. I bet you guys do some version of this. When I just had yesterday, I had not one, but two non-latching babies. That was super fun back to back. But I tell them, like we got them to latch during the consult. And I say, when you go to try it again, when I'm not here, you're going to tell yourself, we've done this before. Because that is a true fact. It's, it's a hundred percent true saying to yourself, I, I, I hope I can do it or I don't, I, I think I can do it or we can do it. You don't know that that's true, but you do know it's true that we've done it before. She has in the book, she has this great section called, are you wise to feel like a fraud? Which is where she says that there's some places where we know that certain outside metrics of success are fraudulent. Like we feel like imposters because we know that usually those who happen to get the high titles and the acclaim are not the best and the brightest. And that I think we can shift that to what we're talking about here with like how our clients experience our care, which is we know that there is a gap between like we leave and how they implement what they do and how they feel about their breastfeeding journey is often separate from the kind of care they receive. So like we give them a care plan and they decide to listen to their sleep training pediatrician and end up not breastfeeding. We can't do anything about that, but we know that we're, it might get blamed on us. You know what I mean? So being able to identify those places where our feelings have more to do with what society is like versus what's actually happening clinically can be helpful. I definitely agree with that. And I think also one of the other points that I was going to share I think you can look at these moments when you're kind of diving into like, oh, what about this? What about that? Or why didn't they call back? Is like, is there anything that I could learn from this? Being what you answer those nagging thoughts in your head, instead of going, oh, I'm so stupid. Like, why did I not do that? I can't believe, like, I don't even know why I'm doing this job anymore. <laughs> instead of going on that gravy train of thoughts, um, stop and say, is there anything that I could learn from this? And maybe it is, maybe you're reflecting and you're thinking, I feel like I should have spent more time on, you know, this aspect. I feel like I could have had more value now in reflection. And it's like, okay, learn from that. Think about 
in that moment, some action step you could do like, oh, I think I'm going to add a new section on my visit record that would prompt me to do that thing that I think maybe I didn't do so good in that visit and take an action for improvement versus just dwelling in the negative thoughts. And I mean, I'm saying this for myself too, because I do this all the time as well. Do any of you have examples of an action step like that? Like has anything come to mind as Leo was talking about something where you've changed based on realizing a mistake that you made? I feel like every consult I change something. (laughs) Right. Hey, you're going to be like honed into like the most masterful IBCLC by doing that, by like learning yeah. from every and then taking action. Like that's the thing. I had one, um, this mom had a non-latching baby and I had just come from Ilka learning all about finger feeding and all these alternative feedings. So like I gave her like three different ways to feed this baby. And like by the time I left, I'm like, that was completely overwhelming. I think I just dumped on her. And I mean, I never heard back from her either. So I know I did. So I've done yeah. that. I've, I've definitely yeah. done exactly that. Yeah. And it seems like it does like, always happen out of a conference, right? Because we're like, oh, I have so much knowledge and I need to share it. Look you just happen to be the this first is, person. Look, this can work. Let me show you. <laughs> is it a good idea to do uh, evaluation forms with parents? I haven't done that. I would you say more on that, like evaluation in evaluation forms of parents. So like you'd send them a form after your visit and ask them to kind of evaluate and give you feedback. Yeah, I, think I definitely think idea. that's fantastic. I find it terrifying. Yeah. I, I yeah. send it to <laughs> mine is set. So it only goes out to somebody who's seen me more than once. And it's, that is like, there is my, that's some full imposter expert syndrome. There is like, if I came back the second time, then you must think I know what I'm talking about. And I only want to hear from those people. Well, that's yeah. terrible. I'm such a coward about it. Yeah. It's I hard. It's- so exposed with the internet as well. You feel like, you know, if you go to someone's house and then you see somebody talking about you in a chat group or or somebody recommends you, that's really nice as well. But then other times, you know, if you saw something that's not so nice, I'm a complete newbie anyway, like, but they're kind of like my feelings on imposter syndrome. Have any of you had that experience of, like, I think what Maria's talking about, I'm seeing people talking about you in a Facebook group and how that makes you feel, like, good or bad? I've only gotten tags for like people recommending a lactation consult and I haven't seen. Then again, I, I mean, between the professional groups, I have very little time for mom groups. So <laughs> I don't know. I I was, that's a good point. I agree with you, Courtney. I try to stay away from the mom groups actually as much as I can, because I feel like, I feel like if I see something positive, like, does it stroke my ego and build me up? Well, sure. But if I'm going to live by that, then I also am going to be taken down if I see a comment that's like, oh, well, it seems overpriced or it seems to blah, 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 you know? And so I try, I kind of try to stay back from those mom groups as much as I can, just because I think it's better for my own mental health. You still want to have, I still yeah. want to have a pulse on what my community is, you know, feeling about me and my services, but I don't necessarily need to read every individual comment. And I will mention too, Maria, I do um, give feedback forms to all of my people that I consult with and I do it for every single visit. And I have been very, very thankful that I've done that because I've gotten, I've gotten a lot of really positive comments and people willing to give me testimonials, but I've also gotten some really valuable feedback too. And similar to what I think Courtney was talking about, I had a, a situation very early on, one of the very first consults that I ever did and I think I totally overwhelmed this mom with lots of stuff and and she commented on that in the feedback form and I was like yep that's what I thought about my own self when I was personally reflecting on it and she was able to corroborate like yes that is what I felt and that was beneficial for me to know that even though it may not felt the best like it was still beneficial and it informs how my practice will be better going forward. Mm-hmm. I know I'm just wondering with the evaluation forms how long after a visit would you send them I send mine three days after 
when I actually, and I'll put that when uh, I took on a subcontractor in the fall and she was doing some training consults with me. Um, and I had those go the day after, cause we wanted to get feedback on like, we all, we all needed to see how did it go? She had a lot of questions about how the consults went. And so we had those go out a day after. I don't know if I've noticed like whether, what timing makes sense. Cause I, I go back and forth because I also send out satisfaction surveys when people hire me for like website and customization. And those I have set to go out like a couple weeks later because I don't, I'm like the day after we finish working together, it's like there's everybody's still like, okay, let me just see how it goes. And so sometimes I want to give them some time. But then like with the breastfeeding moms, I don't know. I feel like I need more close. And it's also an opportunity to invite them for a follow-up. I don't know. Ha has anybody found a good timing for that kind of, those kind of feedback requests? How do you get them to actually done. fill it out? Like it goes okay. out. With yeah. I wish I knew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there a checklist for that, Jenny? <laughs> yeah, I do have that in the toolkit. There's a G Suite template and Office 365. And then if you use intake forms, there's one as part of my intake yeah. forms package. What so if you that? need those. I have those. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, Thanks. you can mess. You can email me if you're missing anything. Um, okay. Here's to piggyback on that. So getting feedbacks from clients is one thing, and I love what Jennifer said about staying out of the mom groups. That was a big lesson I learned because it is like the ones when they tell you when they say, "I do not recommend Annie Frisbee. She didn't help me, and she didn't help my neighbor either." And that like mm -hmm. was six years ago, and I still can like Aww. it still hurts today. And I saw that on Facebook. So. But the corollary to that is feedback from colleagues. So whether it's from like your mentor that you train with people in your community, when, you know, how open are you to that kind of feedback? How does that make you feel? I'm actually like getting like cold prickles thinking about it. Cause, and the reason it came up for me was that um, we have a WhatsApp group here in New York city and somebody posted on there yesterday saying, what do you think is the best way to approach a colleague? to give them feedback, you know, something that you want to talk with them. We were like, is it email? Is it text? Is it phone? And I was like, is it me? <laughs> <laughs> I would totally think the same thing. I would assume it probably was, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Aw. Well, we wanted to give you guys just some ideas for, and we've already talked through a lot of ideas here for these coping strategies. And I think it's really important that you have, like, just like we give parents lots of tools in their toolbox for different scenarios. I think it's helpful for us to have in our toolbox when you really are faced with these feelings of being a fraud or not feeling like you're living up to it, you're an imposter, that we have some tools. So sometimes those tools might look different depending on what your kind of type of imposter syndrome you are. But when I, I really have found super helpful for myself is to have like a build me back up or a facts folder is another way you can think about it. And this could be reviews that you've received, like print them out, put them in a folder, any cards you've gotten back from families that have appreciated your work, anything that you've accomplished, like all the classes you've taken, you know, make a little list and have them in this folder. And when you're in that moment of like, oh my gosh, I totally don't know what I'm doing. I'm quitting. This is it. I'm done. <laughs> You kind of you can have a way to build yourself up without feeling like okay I'm gonna sit here and tell tell myself I'm such a good a lactation consultant because that will feel disingenuine because you're just like you know false affirmations that you're not really connecting with but if you can connect with people who have really benefited from your services I think that that has it's helped me a lot in times where I've just like you know you've had like five visits that week that just felt like you had no idea how it was going to turn out or, you know, you're really down on yourself. I have definitely referred back to this folder of mine and it's, it's made a big difference. And just reminding me, like, what are the facts? The facts are, I might not be a perfect lactation consultant hundred percent of the time, but I have brought value to all these people. I have evidence of that. You know, it's like giving yourself evidence. I have evidence that I've taken, you know, 26 classes on different topics about being a lactation consultant, like I can sit in that evidence versus 
my big imagination will lead me down some pretty catastrophizing scenarios if I just sit with that, you know, but if I can like, okay, just the facts, let me find just the facts. So, and one true fact that you can tell yourself, which is, and they, this is something she tells us in the, in the book to do, which is you are already a risk taker just by like living in this world, you're a risk taker. But for us as a group, we took a risk with them for the first time. We could, we took a risk that we were going to fail and not become an IBCLC like we wanted to. And so right then and there, that is something to look back when you're feeling scared about, do I have what it takes to take this risk? Just to say, I, I am a risk taker. That is a proven fact in my life. And that all of you are that you're risk takers because you're in private practice and you're here. And that's also terrifying. And you're a risk taker because you came here and you shared some things with us, with other people. So thank you for being here and being open and vulnerable, which is a word that is very hard for me to say with my Baltimore accent, vulnerable. So, but it's really, it's great. And I wish we had more time, but I feel like you guys are like us, you have a million things happening today. And I learned some stuff from you guys today. And I'm really grateful for all of that. And I think we'll leave you guys with a quote from the book, but that is your fear of being inadequate pales compared with your fear of being extraordinary. So be extraordinary. Don't be afraid. It's fine. It's totally going to be fine. <laughs> and we're all going to be here for each other. Have a great day. Everybody. Bye. Thank you guys. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Did you know that for just $15 a month, you can join our live Deeper Dives and also get all of our recordings back through January of 2020? Sign up today and be part of the conversation. The magic happens when you show up.